This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Thursday, November 12th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Today on the show got a little bit of a panic bowl between Penn State and Nebraska this weekend up in the Big Ten. Get this, Nebraska's 0-2. One game was canceled against Wisconsin. Penn State's 0-3. These were two teams who were dying for the Big Ten to resume action. It's not going very well, and I would not want to be the losing head coach on Saturday when these two teams meet. Someone's going to get their first win. Someone's probably going to lose the fan base for the rest of the fall. So how are we going to break this episode down? I'm first going to spend time with Tyler Donahue of Lions 24-7. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about Penn State's quarterback issues. We're going to talk about the angry, miserable state of the fan base. And we're going to talk about how James Franklin is dealing with a disappointing season and the fact that his family is in Florida and it's really wearing on the head coach. Then we're going to take a break and we're going to talk to Michael Brunts of Nebraska 24-7 about Scott Frost and how this is not going as planned in what is now year three in Lincoln. Before we get to that, two quick news items to pass along. Georgia versus Missouri has been postponed because of a Missouri contact tracing issue. That now means four SEC games have been postponed or canceled this weekend. Only six teams, so three games are in action. So so four games canceled, three games still to go. Hopefully, fingers crossed, there are no issues there. And then Florida State had a bit of a roster purge on Wednesday. Quarterback James Blackman is transferring. He entered the portal. Defensive tackle Marvin Wilson's season is over. Tamari Terry has left the team as well. The receiver had been dealing with a knee injury, no longer dealing with it with Florida State anymore. He's going to leave and prepare for the NFL draft. So so this is probably a trend we're going to see continue as the season wears on. If your team isn't good and you got star players who are eyeing the NFL or eyeing a new school to get better playing time, they're just going to leave. So without further ado, let's talk to Tyler Donahue of Lions 24-7 about the problems facing Penn State. Tyler Donahue with us right now. Tyler, if you had to choose which uh, prevailing emotion in Happy Valley is the, is the strongest right now, do we go with misery do, do we go with panic or do we go with apathy? Hmm. I would, I would say misery is probably the best way to put this. If you're checking the pulse of the Penn State fan base, because we're only three weeks removed from this program being ranked inside the top 10 nationally, having everything on the table from a Big Ten title run to maybe that first elusive college football playoff appearance and coming off of a, a, a three years in a four year span where you win 11 games, the biggest brush with adversity recently for James Franklin and Penn state was a nine win season that ended in the citrus bowl back in 2018. You thought maybe that was the dip for this program based on their trajectory. 
And then they go out and, and fall to 0-3 for the first time in 19 years, the fourth time in, in program history. And, and oh, by the way, on the same day last Saturday, they, they end up losing another in-state player, Derek Davis, committing to LSU, a guy that they offered as a freshman. So it, it, the recruiting has not gone well, and the the game performance has not gone well. And this was a season where when we got on the on the plane back from Dallas in the Cotton Bowl last year, you thought this team had a lot of potential on, on both the recruiting trail and on game days in 2020 and it has not happened in any way, shape or form. Well, that's better than apathy. It really is such a bummer what's happened to Penn State. I was really excited about watching them. You, you mentioned after the Cotton Bowl, this team, Micah Parsons, Journey Brown, they, they don't get to, they're not playing right now. Noah, uh, Noah Kane's hurt. I thought Sean Clifford would, would make the leap and he hasn't done that. Either so, at least like at least the fan base hasn't totally checked out yet, and at least they've they're still talking. I I was watching game day last week, and Kirk Herbstreet said Penn State's gonna they're gonna beat Maryland, and they're not gonna lose a game the rest of the season. Like this is this is a mad this is a mad team. The James Franklin, they're ready to go. I don't know if you were watching or if you heard that, but would you have agreed with that assessment? headed into Saturday, that that this team was about to go on a run after what was then an 0-2 start? Yes. Um, in fact, I think all of us at Lions 24-7 ended up picking Penn State by a significant margin. I, I had them winning by three touchdowns against Maryland, a team that they had dominated in the past. I thought they would have that back-against-the-wall kind of mentality. And, and, you know, those first two games, I think, outside of Michigan, we wondered how Michigan would look this year. Penn State's the last to go to Ann Arbor. I really felt like the road trip to Indiana, a team that had given them troubles, a team that was you know in the top 25 last year, and then Ohio State. I thought they're, they're tough two matchups were really the first two matchups and uh, my mindset was coming out of Ohio State game although that gap between the Nittany Lions and the Buckeyes appeared to be greater than it had been during the last three or four matchups I felt like maybe they will get to the end of this season and will be able to really suggest that they've made a case as the second best team in the Big Ten Conference um, and yet we did not see a motivated team. It was a pretty dispirited performance against Maryland. And quite frankly, it wasn't as competitive as the Ohio State matchup. And it was just startling in so many ways because last September, we're down in College Park watching Penn State open its Big Ten uh, Big Ten schedule at Maryland. And Sean Clifford's the Big Ten player of the week in his first start as a Big Ten quarterback. They win 59 to nothing. And then here we are in Beaver Stadium sitting there, you know, it's, it's a quiet place this year. And it was particularly quiet. It felt like a wake almost as Maryland jumped out to a 21 nothing lead, 35 to seven lead. And you just almost were wondering, is this real life? In a normal season, what can get a fan base through a bad year is the idea of change. It's maybe a head coach. That's not going to happen. Um, it's it, and it wouldn't happen up there if it wasn't in a pandemic. It's a coordinator change. I can't really see that happening either. Or it's a quarterback change or a, a a shift to the the youth the youth movement and getting all the true freshmen involved. Florida State's been trying to do that, and they they have a roster purge going on as we speak with Marvin Wilson leaving and Marion Terry leaving too. At Penn State, what is the plan for the next month and a half to get through the season is it Sean Clifford getting benched is it turning to the 2020 recruiting class because like we got to get we got to find something for the fans to to hold on to by the time the season's over right I don't see there being some major punctuation mark that makes everyone feel like rosy about what this 2021 recruiting class is going to be they've had 
several whiffs and, and guys that for a while looked like they were Penn State leans and just never came to fruition. It was always going to be a small class in terms of numbers, but I don't think the quality is quite where you thought it could be. On the field, Sean Cliff, John Clifford is definitely at the crux of the conversation here in State College. Uh, he's a guy that last year showed some really good signs. I mentioned Big Ten Player of the Year at Maryland, had an incredible first half against Michigan in the whiteout game last year, um, ended up being banged up towards the latter stages of the season. But the, the hope was you pair him with Kirk Shiraka, the big fish they reeled in during Cotton Bowl week, bringing him in from Minnesota uh, just about a month and a half after he had torched you up in Minneapolis. And you said, OK, can we see a Tanner Morgan kind of leap from Sean Clifford? Because um, I think that the tools, the raw tools that you have with Sean Clifford versus what you have with Tanner Morgan as an athlete are superior. If you can match those with Kirk Shiraka's offensive scheme, what do you get in the field with, with also a supporting cast of blue chip talent that didn't exist with the Golden Gophers last year. It has not happened in any way. And and that's been startling because all offseason, uh, preseason in August, preseason in October, preseason part two, it has been uh, there's even there's been more time than ever for those two to get on the same page compared to a normal year. You didn't have those spring practice reps in the field, but the Zoom meetings, the details that were combed over day in, day out, it almost felt like they felt like they were extra prepared because of what 2020 brought their way. Instead, you know, Sean Clifford, there's no doubt about it. It's been a regression. Um, you'd certainly have to account for missing Journey Brown and Noah Kane in that backfield. The offensive line has been a major disappointment. That was another spot where you, you brought in what seemed to be an upgrade with Phil Troutwine as the offensive line coach and six players on the offensive line who have starting experience. That hasn't built up. But at, at the end of the day, it's Sean Clifford who is under the microscope here. And uh, it, it has not been enough. He had two costly interceptions that gave Indiana 10 points in the first half of that guy that that game kind of set the tone. Uh, he had two pass completions in the entire first half against Ohio State last week. Another really rough game. Uh, he ended up with 30 incompletions on 57 passes, uh, three turnovers. One led to a scoop and score. And yet we have not seen Penn State put another quarterback in to actually throw a pass. And I think maybe this is the weekend we see Will Levis, redshirt sophomore, get involved. Um, Taquan Roberson, you hear nice things about what he's doing as a redshirt freshman on the practice field. But to this point, Sean Clifford has started 15 of the last 16 Penn State games. Uh, he he missed the regular season finale with an injury last year against Rutgers. That's when Will Levis played. Didn't really impress with his arm. We know he's a, he's an impressive runner, but still jury's out on Will Levis as a quarterback. You got to figure out what the quarterback position is. It's becoming more apparent across college football that whether you're going transfer portal or whether you're bringing in a kid who's ready to play as a blue chip prospect, you, you can't win without it. You can't get to that next level without it. We've seen Ohio State, L LSU, um, Oklahoma, be able to do that with transfer quarterbacks. And, and that's where I think a lot of people are starting to gravitate toward. Will they explore the transfer market? Um, you know, there's a nice track record with Kirk Shiraka that might be appealing to guys. He worked with Joe Flacco at Delaware, Tanner Morgan. People saw that progress last year from Minnesota. You're not going to really be able to point to what he's done with Sean Clifford so far, and that's a major concern for me. And I wonder where they're going to move forward. Um, but but quarterback, you got to figure it out. They haven't been able to recruit over Sean Clifford. They haven't brought in somebody good enough and special enough on the practice field to say we can't afford not to play this kid. So you may have to look externally or you have to find a way to get Sean Clifford clicking over these next six games. Otherwise, that is going to be a tremendous question mark on, on whether Penn State can break through. And right now they're, they're, they're moving in the wrong direction. And a lot of that has to do with their offensive efficiency and their offensive woes at quarterback. Yeah, you, you got to have an elite guy. Um, 
How much is this all wearing on James Franklin before we hit record? You were telling me about his families in Florida uh, during the during the season. They're quarantining. He's you know he's not immune to to struggling through the pandemic um, just because he's a, a head football coach. What did he say on, on the teleconference with reporters early in the earlier in the week that might have changed the mood? It was as candid as I've ever seen James Franklin in a public forum here at Penn State, and he opened up his soul a bit and said he was hurting. You know, there weren't tears streaming down his cheeks, but he was pretty honest about it. And he also didn't use it as an excuse. He says uh, it's on him that this is that he has not really allowed himself to operate at full capacity. And and like a lot of successful power five football coach, um, you got to be that kind of control freak. You got to be the guy who wakes up uh, at 4 a.m. And, and goes to bed late and can just function at full capacity along the way. Um, and normally James Franklin is the poster child for what that's supposed to look like, full of energy, uh, win or lose, uh, a guy who's ready to get to work. He says his family being, you know, a thousand plus miles away from him over the course of these recent months he didn't realize how much that was going to kind of take away his fuel. That's the term he used. He said his family is his fuel. Now he has two daughters, his wife as well. Um, and, and he's not sure when they're going to be able to reunite. The key here is his youngest daughter, um, 12 years old, has an autoimmune disease. So there is a, a major, major um, underlying issue for COVID complications. And Franklin says either there needs to be a kind of a foil proof vaccination solution there or um, he's got to get in a spot where he's not interacting with such a high volume of people on a daily basis. And if you're a power five football coach, when is that going to come? It's certainly not going to come in the next six weeks. So um, I, I, you know, I assume he spoke with his staff and his players before he brought this to us. I don't know if he was as open about it. He may have kind of been trying to bottle it up and, and kind of going along things like they were normal. But very clearly, James Franklin is not in a normal state of mind. I don't care that the guy makes almost $6 million a year. I don't care that he's got so celebrity status here in Happy Valley and really across the college football universe, he is still allowed to hurt. He is still allowed to be impacted by the circumstances of this pandemic and what 2020 has meant to all of us on a different and deep level. And that's what he's going through right now. He's going to need his coordinators, his coaching staff to step up. Um, and, and he may very well at the end of this thing need to have a, a long conversation with himself, with his family and Penn State administration about you know, what may be best for him uh, mentally. I'm not saying he's going to step down or anything, but does he need to kind of check out for a couple of weeks or a month? And and maybe that can happen this year because the recruiting stuff is so virtual. Maybe there's an opportunity, but James Franklin is a guy who's been a head coach now for 10 years an assistant coach long before that. I don't know if he's ever pushed the pause button on football progress. And this year of all years, sounds like a guy who may need to, to find it. Wow. Yeah. Burnout is a real thing. I, I remember during the NBA bubble, most of us were like, you know, don't pity the players. They get to stay at sick hotels in Disney World and whatever, but and they get paid millions of dollars to play basketball. But LeBron said it was the hardest title he's ever had to win. Paul George on the Clippers was saying like he was struggling with anxiety and depression. They were in the just in the in the hotel bubble for months. And college football, I mean, that's really tough for James Franklin to not be with your family. And I'm sure the zero and three start is wearing on him. Uh, Tyler Donahue, this is this is really good stuff. It's going to be super interesting to see what happens when Penn State plays Nebraska. Uh, and, and the rest of the season, like, I, they can, they should beat Iowa. They should beat Michigan. They should beat Rutgers. They, they should beat Michigan State. I would have said that about Maryland, though, too, and Indiana. So who knows what happens. Do you think a turnaround's on the horizon 
for Penn State, or is this just going to be just like, let's just get through this year? I would lean more toward them regrouping. I don't know if that means a 6-0 and run here, but let's say maybe winning four or five of the next six. I think that, to me, is more likely than the tailspin continuing and them ending up with one or two wins or, or losing to a Rutgers or a Michigan State dur- during the final stretch. My question is, though, you got to have that, that inner spark, that self-motivation, because the Big Ten title is long off the table. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't see guys being excited about bowl games. I don't know if we'll see bowl games. I don't know if it makes any sense financially for there to be a bunch of bowl games and if this team's going to end up with four or five or six losses in a year where everybody can go play a bowl do they want to stay in a bubble for an extra few weeks to go play in a fourth tier bowl in front of nobody I mean I, I you got to find the motivation from within that's going to be imperative and that's got to start with James Franklin and uh, you know he had his look in the mirror moment be honest with yourself moment and I would imagine that's going to trickle down so we'll know early against Nebraska if this team comes out at an 11 a.m. local time kickoff and looks like they didn't against Maryland, it's going to be a major warning sign that a long season is ahead. If they come out, they're fighting, they're sharp, maybe they simplify things a little bit and just do what they do well, um, then, then maybe that's a sign that this team is ready to, to roll on the right right tracks and have some pride and, and finish this thing off um, in, in some kind of salvageable form. We'll have to see. Tyler Donahue, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks again to Tyler for joining us. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go straight to my interview with Michael Brunts. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Okay, Michael Brunts joins us now. Michael, last time we spoke, we were talking about Nebraska was not letting the season go, was not letting the Big Ten's plans to cancel the season go without a fight. So I realize that it, it is you know sort of a blessing that now when we're talking, we are at least talking about a football season um, because the Big Ten obviously came back. But it hasn't been a very fun one for Nebraska, given the records, yet to win a game underdogs this weekend against Penn State. If, if you or I you know, made an offer to the good people of Lincoln and said, hey, you can cut your losses. Like We, we don't have to do this season anymore. What would everybody say? Well, I think they would still they would uh, they would they would want football. I think it's as kind of painful as it's been through the first two weeks that Nebraska's played, including the cancellation uh, against Wisconsin. I still think they they would uh, they'd accept football. Any football, I think, <laughs> is better than no football. That's that's generally, I think, a good way to go through life. Um, it's been tough though. I mean, you look at. You know, having to get Ohio State right out of the gates, um, you know, the the offensive struggles against Northwestern and, you know, going into this game against Penn State, who, you know, it, it's I, I guess you could probably make an argument of who's more desperate right now um, of the two teams. But, um, you know, you've got it in at least in Lincoln, you have 
questions about who the starting quarterback is going to be. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of young guys um, playing going forward for Nebraska. So it's, uh, you know, even though the record hasn't been good for Nebraska, there's at least uh, some entry, I think, so far. So I understand the Ohio State loss. Nebraska looked pretty good for a half. Northwestern didn't really see that one coming. Nebraska loses 21-13. to 13. The offense just hasn't gotten figured out yet. And you mentioned Adrian Martin, Martinez, and now he's not not really a sure thing to keep his job moving forward. But when I, when I look at the offensive stats for uh, yards per play for Nebraska under Scott Frost, I see this year they ranked 60, 67th. Last year was 72nd. His first year, it was 20th. And then in 2016, like Central Florida had the number two offense in the country. And Nebraska under Mike Riley had the 67th. So it's like we're we're back at 67 with the coach who we all thought would fix it. I still have faith he's going to fix the offense and fix the program and turn this around. Uh, do you? And do, does the fan base? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you kind of look at the totality of the three or two two plus years he's been at Nebraska, I mean, I think you know the the fact that the offense hasn't really been able to kind of capture that magic that, that he had at UCF or even going back to, you know, his time at Oregon. I mean, he, he was running some of those really good Oregon offenses too. Um, that, that's been a bit of a head scratcher. I think that they had to certainly, you know, build back and, and recruit guys to fit their system a little bit more, but I think they're getting closer to that. They're better up front on the lines uh, on both sides of the ball, which is something that has really kind of bit them. But you know, it, it's it's just looked so hard at times the last couple of years. And, you know, that's been the head scratcher with, with, you know, Scott Frost's offense. You know, when he came, you know, people were kind of expecting like, okay, you know, we're need to get ready to win games, you know, 55 to, to 49 and in these, you know, four quarter um, basically basketball games on turf. And that hasn't played out yet. Part of it's been inconsistent, inconsistency at the quarterback spot. It's a lot of self-inflicted stuff. You look at the the number of turnovers that they've committed, um, the, the types of penalties that they've had that just knock them off um, derives. It's just been so inconsistent. And, and how they ultimately solve that problem, I, I think, is going to uh, determine the, the success or not that they have in Nebraska. So I, I think there's, you know, among the fan base, a little bit of grumbling, a, a little bit of questioning about kind of, you know, why in year three these issues are still happening. But you know, if you look at the the number of true freshmen and redshirt freshmen that they're playing right now, I, I think you can kind of start to see, you know, what, what they can build around. But, um, you know, Northwestern's got a good defense, but it was a lot harder, I think, than it needed to be uh, last week in that loss. Do you think Scott Frost is surprised himself how difficult it's been? I think so. I, I, think, I think when he got to Lincoln, I think he was expecting to th- – expecting maybe a little bit different than, than what he got when he showed up. I think, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a little bit of confidence and swagger that he brought from that undefeated season at UCF that, um, you know, I I think maybe he'd take back if he had it to do over again. Um, I think, you know, kind of, you know, along the the surprise, I mean, the, the thing that's surprising to me, and it might be a little bit to him too, is, you know, he had Adrian Martinez as a, a freshman come in and look like he was going to be the next kind of guy that, that was going to just take off in this offense. And he's really regressed uh, the last two years. And that's a concern. I mean, I, I, I really thought that Luke McCaffrey ran the offense better than Adrian Martinez did last week. And, and they have to find a better way to 
really kind of make defenses in the Big Ten uh, have to worry about things besides just the, the quarterback run game. Because if you look at their numbers right now, this season, that, that's been the, the most consistent thing, consistent thing they have. And, and you're just not going to win a lot of football games doing that, especially if you're not uh, out there running the veer. I don't want to back you into a corner, but my ears perked up when you when you talked about this, the swagger thing and things you'd like back. I have noticed, too, it seems like we see less of Scott Frost and less of the, the boisterous Scott Frost. I can't imagine he regrets like the UCF swagger, but Michael, do you kind of mean when he got to Nebraska, was he trumpeting things or like were there every, every coach gets on the basketball court and says like, you know, we're going to, we're going to win the big 10. Like, I don't remember him doing that, but was it something like that he did? Or I, I remember the Joe Burrow comments, but was there anything else? Yeah. And not even the Joe Burrow stuff. I mean, that was, you know, at the time, I mean, I don't think, and especially in the context, it was said that really wasn't that big of a, a thing. I mean, I think it became more of a, a thing, the more out of context it got taken. But I mean, I, I think there was a quote, he showed up and talked about how, I can't remember if it was the big 10 media days that first year about how the, the big 10 defenses were going to have to adapt to them and kind of threw the gauntlet down a little bit. I don't know if he intended to do that, but that's kind of how I think it was taken, um, you know, around the conference. And, you know, I, I think, I think uh, those types of comments early on, maybe, um, you know, really kind of ratcheted up expectations a little bit. And I think too, I mean, I, I think it was a little bit more of a rebuild uh, than what he was expecting coming in uh, to take the job. So I, I'm sure, you know, especially with the way things have kind of gone the first couple of years that, uh, that those might be comments he'd want back, but uh, you know, for, for Nebraska right now, I mean, they, they feel like they're closer to turning a corner. Um, you know, I, I think they have improved in some areas, but uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the time to start showing progress is, is this season. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough start out of the, out of the gates with the four games that they had. They obviously didn't play Wisconsin, but uh, they have an opportunity and need to go out and show uh, that they are kind of training in the right direction in the second half of the season. Yeah. Uh, Penn State next, of course, then Illinois should be a win. Nebraska or Iowa, like a, a pick them maybe. Uh, Purdue, same boat perhaps. Minnesota, Minnesota doesn't look very good. Uh, last question: can, Is there anything that can happen against Penn State that changes how you feel long term about this program? Like, I I don't expect them to get blown out, but Michael, are you expecting maybe them to come out with a, a fire that we haven't seen in a while and and win? And this could be the turning point. You know, could this be like a, a real sleepy? Neither of these teams want to be here. A nine and three game, and we're like, all right, like this season's over. Uh, I, I don't think that. I don't think that Nebraska's players are, you know, to that point where they're, they're kind of thrown in the towel. I mean, especially for, you know, a program that fought as hard as they did to play. Um, you know, I, I think they're still pretty dialed in. It's, that's just kind of the challenge of, of this year though. I mean, especially the big 10 and you look at, you know, teams like Purdue and Northwestern that you probably weren't expecting to be where they are, um, you know, versus a, a Penn state or, uh, you know, somebody like that or Minnesota that's really kind of struggled. So, you know, I, that's kind of the, the challenge right now with, you know, the, the COVID stuff and, and this season is, is you don't really know what you're going to get week to week from programs. I, I think if, you know, you, you're in Nebraska, you're hoping to come out and play a good game. I mean, you're playing your first home game uh, of the season. You haven't won a game in, in you know, almost a year. So, um, you know, it's time. I mean, you, you need to come out and start putting good, consistent performances, 
out there. So, I mean, I, I'm not expecting a, an unfocused Nebraska team. I, I think they have every reason to be dialed in. Uh, you know, I, I think a big question mark, uh, which I said earlier, is, is you know who's under center. Um, how many young guys are you going to see? Because I, I think Nebraska's kind of figured out over these you know last couple of weeks that they've got some young talent that they're kind of seeing that they need to get on the field a lot sooner than maybe what they thought. All righty, Michael Bruns, thanks so much. Anytime, Trey. Thank you to both of those guys for joining me and talking about the sad state of their programs. I hope it works out for both of them the rest of the fall. Someone's got to lose on Saturday, though, and that's going to be a, a tough task on the old message boards. My name is Trey Scott. Our producer is Tony Levitt. We'll see you next time on the College Football Daily. For drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.